It's the Bob McCowan Podcast, and it's brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. McCowan here, Shannon there. Happy Friday, Bob. Same to you. A little soccer, a little hockey to chat about today. Canada is out at the World Cup, although it will con- the event itself will continue for several weeks. <laughs> several and- weeks. December 18th, Bob. <laughs> we got three more weeks of watching the World Cup. Well, there you go. Well, you may. Uh, James Sharman, <laughs> our soccer guy, will join us to talk about Canada's performance and what comes next. And then the Ottawa Senators are going to be sold. And our friend Brian Lawton has some thoughts on that. And we will get to him. So two guests in this program. We will commence after these messages. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Well, the World Cup of Soccer goes on, but not for Canada. Uh, James Sharman is uh, with us to discuss, as he has throughout this uh, tournament and even before. You're not really surprised, are you? No, I'm not. I mean, listen, obviously we had great hopes and perhaps some uh, naive expectations in some parts. But no, I mean, when that draw was made, um, it was pretty clear that that Canada was in tough to qualify. Now, we thought Belgium would be the key to that group. Um, They weren't very good, but Croatia was. And Morocco is a team that's just really emerged on on the world scene. So um, I think a lot of people had their eyes opened. Uh, watching these games, just where Canada's at, but personally, not surprised. Um, I think it kind of went as I as I expected. It might be too soon to ask the question, James, but did we learn anything? We learned that as much as Canada can now play and be competitive with, with better nations, there's still a gulf between Canada and the rest. I think the big query entering this World Cup for Canada was they'd only really play CONCACAF teams in the last you know, number of, of years, really, hadn't really played European teams or, or African teams. So where where was the level of, of skill uh, compared to the two regions? And, and this showed us that the gulf is pretty big still. It's, it's closing. Um, there's progress being made. But at this point, um, Canada's still fighting quite a battle to be competitive on that world stage. And the world's only getting bigger. Seeing these, these other smaller nations having good World Cups. Some of the bigger nations having bad World Cups. So so the world's getting bigger and Canada's in that mix somewhere. So, but just curiosity, how, how, how do you arrange for friendlies against bigger countries? I mean, it, yeah. it takes well, reputation, doesn't it? And it does, and that's why it's a good thing. It's a great point. And listen, during COVID, of course, too, there was less opportunity 
to to travel outside CONCACAF, the long qualifying campaign, the Nations League. There isn't much opportunity, but now a couple of things really. Well, now Canada is more of a, a destination perhaps for other teams in friendly windows. Now, maybe that's in, in Canada. Maybe it's having European-based camps. But because they've made some noise in the world stage, because people now know about some of their players, Alfonso Davies is becoming a household name. I think you're going to see better, better teams um, signing up to play Canada, especially with the World Cup being in Canada in, in 2026. Add in the, there's one caveat, which is again purely speculation, but it's being whispered right now is that Copa America, which is one of the great tournaments in world football, South America, um, they might expand for 2024, I believe it is, uh, where they might wrap in some of the North American teams, maybe merge a Gold Cup, Cup America's being discussed. If that's the case, then that's incredible. That's how you get those those big opponents. That's how you improve by playing better teams. So I think in that regard, we're in pretty good shape. It occurs to me that money is going to be an issue with this because if you have travel and you travel to Europe or South America or whatever for friendlies, which I think is what you're saying is important for Canada and kind of a next step, that's dollars and cents. Do you think we will see um, an input of significant money to the Canadian soccer program as a result of the World Cup performance? Well, we're seeing some deals being finalized the last few weeks, um, some bigger deals we haven't seen before. Will, will corporate Canada wake up? I mean, you guys probably know better than me. I don't know. There's only so much money out there. Right. Um, but with a host nation, I know it's only 10 games coming up, maybe 10 games um, in 2026. That is, there is some allure there to grow the sport between now and then. So hopefully that's the money comes from the private sector because they ain't going to get it from the public sector. Let's be honest. Um, the money going, coming there from FIFA is a large part of that's going to be going to the players eventually. Mm-hmm. So it's got to come from, from private money. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I hope so. But like I said, there's been some bigger deals the last few weeks. There's more on the way, apparently. But are they, you know, tens of millions of dollars? Probably not. Is, and, is there and, a big you, corporate sponsor out there for them, John? Well, it, it looks like CIBC, who have, have been on the outside of the sports realm for a while. Scotiabank's big in hockey. BMO's got a, got some. Um, it looks like C, CIBC's trying to get back into sports. Uh, which would be really positive. I mean, you know, you know, in our lifetime, Bob, we've gone from you know breweries to airlines, and now we're into banks. So, uh, in 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 trying to get sponsorship dollars, but to me, it, it, there has to be a, a a lead a lead sponsor. It has to be somebody with deep pockets and no deeper pockets than one of the big five banks in our country. Yeah, that's the one. I think that's the one that's gonna that's gonna bring a, a fair amount of money in. I, I know part of John Herbman's. Um, responsibilities have been talking to these people as well, talking to to money men, so to speak, and bringing in private money. He's been doing that for a long time. So again, you know, we talk about his future. You know, it's, it's more than just the football itself, right? It's his relationships off the field as well because um, he's been doing the job of, of several people, I think, in the last number of months, bringing more money into the program. Well, that's a, that's a good point because was, was Soccer Canada ready for this platform was it ready to to do what uh, i mean our friend brian cooper's trying to do it with basketball canada we we do know with all the controversy around hockey canada they can still sell stuff and they have a they have a group to sell is soccer canada prepared for that 
I mean, I, I wonder if they were caught off guard somewhat. I mean, Canada soccer business, controversial as it is, was formed to make money. They're, they're, uh, that's, that's Scott Mitchell and, right. and his, his group, right? They've got a lot of, you know, obviously history in, in sports in this country and they know how to make money. Um, now, their cut is, I guess, the controversial aspect, right? How much money is going to be going to, to Canada soccer itself. But uh, most governing bodies have a private firm doing their marketing for them and, and that business side of things, certainly. Um, but I think they were caught off guard somewhat qualifying when they did. There's lots of evidence to suggest that, right? From not having the right shirts for a World Cup would be one of them, <laughs> right? So uh, there, there's certainly concerns there. But I mean, now we're going to find out, right? If they rushed to 2022 to the World Cup, now they've got plenty of time to prepare for 2026. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot of pressure on them to, to make it work properly. And, and and James, to me, to me, the bigger story might be, and, and it kind of got buried a little bit, and it's gonna, I think it's gonna rear its ugly head again. Is the relationship between the players and the organize and and and, and soccer Canada? How would you define that relationship? Yeah, it seems to be broken still. There's no deal signed, right? And, and that was entering the World Cup. Will they get it done? Well, it wasn't done. Now, anything they decide will be retroactive to, you know, this World Cup and this last cycle. But there's clearly big animosity between the two groups if they haven't got a deal done just yet. And now they have to get that thing done. Um, you know, the last I heard they were talking, they, they've reached pretty, they're pretty close to agreement. Um, image rights is one thing that's still up in the air. I know Funzi signed his own personal image rights deal. Uh, you'll see some other players probably do the same thing, but as a collective, that's been some stumbling block. So um, yeah, we'll see. But you're right; it's gone very quiet during the World Cup. I'm sure that was uh, you know agreed on both parties. Let's let's put that to the side. Just focus on the football right now. Now the football's mm-hmm. over. They've got to get this thing done. Where are we at with Herdman? Uh, at the beginning of this um, World Cup, the, you know, after the qualifying, there was suggestion this guy was, um, you know, and put his name on the world map and that maybe somebody would offer him a job, um, a good one, one that he would take and abandon uh, Canada as a result. Now, he has said that he's in till 2026, but that could change very quickly. Do you think that's yeah. likely now? I, you know, I know, and I heard his comments too. And I mean, you could read whatever you want into them, right? You could say, well, he wasn't that committal. And then you could say, no, but he was committal. So, yeah, I don't know. I think he answered it the best way he could when asked the question. Um, is, is he going to leave? Listen, I, I still think there's going to be a lot of clubs sniffing around. Um, he didn't perhaps have the greatest of World Cups. He didn't have a bad World Cup, but I, I don't think his stock was hit considerably. I think if a club's interested in John Herbman, before the World Cup, they knew about him. They won't be affected by three games at the World Cup. I my, my gut still tells me he'll leave before 2026. Um, it's still four years before the next World Cup. That's a lot of football. There's no qualifying. There's less competitive games. Um, and he has got that burning desire to coach club football and make that jump before he's too old, right? He's 46, 47 now, I believe. Um, he's still pretty young in the grand scheme of things. So now would be a right time to, to jump. And I, I do wonder if having coached the team through this World Cup and seeing the golfing class still between Canada and the rest, that's a big challenge, right? That's a lot. Can you can get that done in four years? I have my reservations that he can to make a big, significant step. Um, at the same time, his burning you know, ambition, his desire to make this team, this program better. I mean, he, he won't take this World Cup lightly, right? That will hurt him that he lost three games, didn't get a point. That will hurt him no matter what, what he says. And you want to rectify that. 
So I'm sure that there's arguments on both sides, but I still think someone's going to come around at some point, if not already, and, and procure him away from Canada's soccer. Look, at for all of us, it's about money. What kind of money does Herdman make now? And uh, what kind of offer would he have to get in order to leave? Yeah, you know what? It's a good one because it's very hard in soccer for one reason. For some reason, knowing what managers make is difficult. It's not put out there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I understand he's paid pretty well. It's close to a mil for, for a Canadian soccer coach, which is pretty good. Um, he'll make a lot more than that potentially in club football in the UK, for example, even in the league championship, which is the one level below the Premier League. Yeah, um, right. He'll make more than that. And even Nick Barnes has said in an interview, listen, you know, if if clubs come, you know, searching for John Herbin, they can pay him more than we can. And he's not paid badly by any stretch. Canada have, haven't cheaped out low-balled him at all. He's got a good contract there. And there's a lot of reasons why he'd stay in Canada. Job security, there isn't that much pressure really compared to going overseas in club football. Um, but from a financial standpoint, a club could easily put a number in front of him that would make him really sit up and, and take notice. Yeah. Um, money aside, is this a guy who would want a premiership team is he capable of getting that at this point, do you think? I don't think so. No, not at this point. I mean, that would take a brave Premier League team, right? These yeah. are storied clubs with sure. fervent fan bases. You tell them, oh, by the way, we just signed Canada's national head coach. They they, they mm-hmm. wouldn't even know who he is, right? That would take a ballsy yeah. president, chairman to do that. Even if it maybe it's a great choice, but I can't see that. I, I can see though a league championship team, like I said, and there's big clubs down there, right? There are teams down there that, you know, fancy themselves as being Premier League clubs very, very shortly. And even you can have a very nice career for yourself coaching or playing in that division of football. The fan, the fan attendance is incredible. There's a great TV deal. You get notoriety, big, big clubs, big fan base, big stadiums. There's a lot to like about that. And with the ambition of winning promotion to the Premier League and then watch out. So mm-hmm. that might be where you could go or overseas somewhere else, you know, on the continent. Maybe MLS. MLS, I've always thought, is an option. I mean, he's a known, really? known quantity here, right? Um, I, I believe he's been I believe he's been approached before by MLS teams, and he said no, though. I think maybe if he's making that jump to club football, yeah. he'll go overseas back to where it all began. But uh, certainly there'll be an, enough clubs interested eventually. Let's, re- let's remember, this guy, you know, went all the way to New Zealand and then came to Canada, so... There's no realm out of uh, out of distance for for John Herdman. There isn't, what, what and he's got a chip on his shoulder, right, John? I mean, this guy left oh. England because he wasn't given the opportunity there to coach, yeah. hadn't played, right? He he'd love, I'm sure he'd love to go back there and be successful and say, "See, I, I told you." Yeah, I'd leave eventually. But I yeah, came back. I he I, I'll tell you what, he's a Pied Piper, though. I mean, he is. Uh, he's he's really really engaging. I mean, I, I can't imagine you talk about the corporate world sitting across a table from John Herdman and then not bringing up my checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, from a football standpoint, he's convinced numerous players to play the Canada when they could have played right. for the U.S. Or, or other teams around the world. You know, good opportunities. He's convinced them, right? Stefan Estadio yeah. could have played for Portugal, right? And he didn't. He chose Canada. I mean, that's, that's yeah. some sales job. Okay, so we're, we're, we've addressed the coach. What kind of turnover in four years will we see in players? Yeah, I mean, it's still a pr- pretty young team, right? But the, the older players are key players. 
and key personalities. Um, starting with Atiba Hutchinson, who at 39, I'm assuming he'll hang him up now internationally. I mean, it's possible they'll stick around for the Gold Cup next summer and go for a trophy, some of these guys. But Atiba at 39, I mean, he's, he still wants to play at Besiktas in Turkey. Um, I think he's done his job. It'd be a nice place for him to go out, you know, having played in the World Cup for his country. The goalkeeper Milan Boyan's mid-30s now. Now goalkeepers can, can play till they're in the late 30s. Um, but maybe it's time for him to step aside. He didn't have a great World Cup, but he was he was fantastic in qualifying. Mm-hmm. Um, someone like Junior Hoyler, who's 32, plays in England um, and, and was really good in this World Cup. He, he's a player that might decide that he needs to now focus on his club career as, as well. A lot of players you see in, in soccer, 31, 32, maybe 33, they'll retire internationally because they've got to just commit to their clubs and, and they need that time off those international windows when you're 33 can be spent on, on the trainer's table, right? Getting massages, taking it easy, as opposed yeah. to traveling around CONCACAF, you know, to Curacao and Haiti and places, right? So uh, I can see there'd be a slight turnover, yeah, some really important players, but you need to change, right? In four years' time, three and a half years' time, really, um, it will be a, a different-looking squad, and there's some youngsters that need opportunity now as well, and these guys think need to move aside to, to allow that. Is there another Fonzie coming? Do you know Who knows? There, there, there could be. I mean, listen, the guys that, that missed out were in the bubble of this particular World Cup. Uh, Luca Cogliosho is playing in Spain. He's a teenager. He's fantastic. Really good player. Um, Theo Corbiano has been playing in England for a long time now. Young player. Very exciting. There's players we don't know about yet either. But um, there's a decent pipeline for sure. Decent pipeline, but you know, I wouldn't say it's a great pipeline, but just go and see. But Fonzie is a bit of a unicorn. I mean, I, I yeah. don't see maybe Ishmael Kone could emerge as that player. He plays in Montreal yeah. right now. He's moving to Europe probably this January at some point. Got a few minutes this World Cup, looks okay. He's he's got that potential. And a lot, a lot of people are looking at him and saying he's got the same at his age, he's got the same attributes as Fonzie. So maybe, but I mean, listen, um, Alfonso Davis is not, not many of those guys come around too often, right? No, I get it. I'm just Where, wondering what about whether his there's stock? optimism or reason for optimism for 2026 um, with the kinds of players that weren't significant part of this World Cup. Yeah. Um, see, I look at 2026. I mean, three and a half years isn't actually that long a time, right? And when I see, for example, Morocco at this World Cup, it beat Canada yesterday. They won the group in the end. They're a team that, that have been around the block a few times um, in, in a hotbed of football in that country. They've played at World Cups before. Um, they they last time out four years ago, they had, I think it was seven or eight players playing in like top tier leagues. And they drew Spain 2-2. Four years later, they got 15 players playing in top tier. And that's kind of the jump. Canada have a handful of players right now, two, I think, in the top, top tiers and then maybe five or six playing in decent leagues in Europe. So there's still a lot of work to do. I, I think, listen, there's 48 teams in this World Cup, right? Yeah. 48 teams is crazy. That It will be watered down, potentially three group, three team groups, which would help Canada potentially as a seeded team as a host. So you could see Canada getting out of this group to a final 32 knockout encounter. I think it might come a bit too soon. I, I think you've got to look all, at this point to 2030, really, to see a real... How, how this production line is really working in Canada. How is the CPL, the Canadian Premier League at this point, producing talent? Uh, MLS is next gen. How, how is that producing talent for Canada as well? 
Um, so as much as it'll be really exciting in three and a half years and it could be a really exciting team, I think it might be a little bit too soon. Well, to put it in perspective, and 1986 is going to rear its ugly head again. This is the first time in 36 years the Moroccans have gotten through. Yep. So 1986, when, when we got to the World Cup for the first time and couldn't score a goal, that's how long it's taken the Moroccans to get out of the group stage. Yep. And they played <laughs> in World Cups. Exactly, right? It ain't easy. Right. Um, right. It's, it's difficult. 48 teams, it might be a bit easier. Um, yeah. But, you know, listen, you, you can't blame Canada for a 48-team World Cup, right? But if they finally win a game against Papua New Guinea... In the first round, I mean, well, great. <laughs> got, got a no, win against Papua New Guinea. But, but, I mean. but James, to me, the, the, the challenge is to make sure that between now and then we have competition to improve. Key. You know, w- you know, we won CONCACAF. And... Well, yeah, and, and here's the thing, though. I mean, the Gold Cup I've mentioned is coming up in, in June this year. Um, it's exciting. Canada's got a good team. But just as, as Canada's you know, emerging as being this this player in CONCACAF, the USA, who were very average in qualifying, have suddenly found themselves at the World Cup and are playing the mm-hmm. way we thought they could play. And they're in the round of 16 playing the Dutch. They could win that game. You know, they're going to be the favorites once again entering the Gold Cup. You know, so just mm-hmm. when you thought CONCACAF's declining and Canada's rising, actually it's going to be a real challenge too. Mm-hmm. Not to say Canada can't win the Gold Cup, and that, that's going to be great, right? Uh, but right. you're right. I mean, competition is absolutely key. And without qualifying for a World Cup, um, that makes it a little bit more difficult to find truly competitive matches. Well, I, I tell you what is, and for all the controversy we have in our country, imagine being Mexican today. Because they are not happy in Mexico today. No, or Germany or Belgium. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, I tell you, as much as we you know talk about Canada failing, so to speak, at the World Cup, I mean, my God, he, he's, yeah, spend a night in Mexico right now, and that yeah. is not a pleasant place to be. There's a lot of heartbreak, that's for sure. Well, I, I would say that at least the casual fan like me looks at the U.S. qualifying for the 16 and thinks, well, how, is that, how does that happen? What does that mean? We beat the U.S. twice in the, <laughs> in the qualifying, and now in the World Cup, we don't advance, and they do. Is that really more about who the competition was in the in the round that's just completing? Uh, I mean, that was a tough group too. Actually, the toughest group in the World Cup as far as FIFA rankings, which doesn't mean that much, was Group B with the States, with Iran, and with England and Wales as far mm-hmm. as the lowest ranked teams or highest ranked teams in, in FIFA. I, I think it honestly it comes down to just states are the second youngest team of the world cup a very very young team who are finding themselves in qualifying it takes a while to gel find the right 11 and they've kind of just matured at just the right time for the world cup um that being said canada's group at the world cup was as tough as I thought it'd be it was even tougher i mean my god no one really saw morocco being this good people were writing off morocco I remember when that draw was made Oh, well, we can get points up morocco and i'm thinking yeah, yeah they're a pretty good team and lo and behold yeah. they were a great team and belgium was was the whipping boy in many ways of this group. They were very poor. So just it's a very strange World Cup so far. A lot of smaller teams are doing really well. Some of the big boys are struggling. Um, you know, odd World Cup, weird World Cup, when it is, where it is, and the results are following that suit. Okay, on to the 16. You've, uh, you've got to look into your crystal ball. Who's, uh, who's going to win now? Oof. Well, I, I picked Argentina to win it before the tournament, and then they went out and lost to Saudi Arabia. So I didn't look too great there. 
Um, but they 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 found their form, I think, again somewhat. They're they're still in that handful of teams. Brazil have been the most impressive so far, for sure. Look really good. They're playing later today, um, and they've qualified already, so they can take their foot off the gas a little bit here. Um, I, I think it'll come down to one of those two teams. But you have you know France, who looked really good up until the last match where they lost. Uh, England's looked pretty decent so far. Portugal just lost to South Korea. I mean, it, honestly, it, I. As far as picking a winner, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to happen? I, I really hope, actually, that if if it's not England, um, we, we do see a surprise team, you know, in this odd World Cup winning this thing. Maybe a, an African team, a Senegal who's playing England. Maybe they can make a run, a really good team. Maybe the States, who knows, can catch lightning in a bottle. There's something about this World Cup that screams shock. And mm. we might see that, but, you know, hey, we, we could be talking on December 20th and it's... Brazil up against France in the final, and no one's that surprised. Yeah, it kind of reminds me in so many ways of uh, March Madness. You know, first round upsets, lots of upsets, but in the end, we get back the to end. the same teams. Yeah, we, when we, all the brackets we, are smashed, yeah, still, that's right. right. Everybody's bracket smashed, and then we get back to the same teams. So yep. Brazil, France, you know, it, it, Brazil, France makes a, a ton of sense. And then you know, and then the frustration in England will be we just we just can't finish. Why can't yeah. we finish? You know, <laughs> Gareth Southgate's full. The manager's full. Blame them. Blame him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He's the only all guy. Oh, they win, and then the country burns. You know, really. <laughs> times. Well, it wasn't a, a great World Cup for Canada, but it was it was certainly fun to be involved for the first time in what 30, 40 years. So um, 36, yeah. Yeah, let's take let's take that much at least from this experience. Um, Mr. Lawton, thank you very much. Or Mr. Sharman, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. And we'll uh we'll chat with you down the road as we see how this World Cup evolves. Thanks, Happy pal. to see both. Thanks so much, guys. We'll chat soon. Okay, James. Back after this. And now a word from our sponsor, Better Help. These days, more athletes are speaking out about the importance of mental health. But you don't have to be in the pros to take care of your mental well-being and being focused and in the zone. Therapy is the best way to stay in peak mental shape. We've all seen firsthand the benefits of unloading the stress, of working through the emotional healing and dealing with anxiety and depression. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, better help is a great option. It's convenient accessible and online get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time when you're ready to feel at the top of your game therapy can get you there visit betterhelp.com bobcast today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better com slash bobcast uh, we are back. It's McCowan and Shannon and Brian Lawton joins us now. And Lawton, we wanted to talk to you for a bunch of reasons, obviously, but we you missed have you. Some, you know, yeah, we missed you. You oh, have yeah. some experience in acquiring NHL franchises or attempting to do so. And uh, there is one for sale right now, and that's the Ottawa Senators. And we're only a few days away from understanding, I guess. Uh, what bids might be out there. And we are told there may be as many as 20 bidders for this franchise. First of all, are you surprised at the number of people that are interested in them? Not really, no. I mean, there's just so few of these things available. And I mean, sports teams in general. 
that uh, there's more wealth in the world. We know that. We've seen that through the pandemic. And, uh, you know, people want to get interested in it. And the NHL does a really good job. Sal is handling this out of New York for the Ottawa Senators. I think he's doing a good job. He's going to create a lot of interest. I'm curious to see where the bids come in, to be honest with you. We hear a lot about the, a desire to have local ownership, and especially a team like Ottawa, which has been, well, we know what their history is, and we know that there has been talk about the team moving out of Ottawa and not surviving there. I would imagine with a new arena, that's not going to be a problem anymore. But do you think you have an inside track if you're a local? I think it helps. I don't think it's the be-all, end-all. At the end of the day, you know, in order to be a pro sports owner today, and I have been involved in a number of different deals, uh, you have to have the position that you are a guardian or custodian of the ownership of a pro sports franchise. Even in North America, we know that this is the way over in England, where they literally can cancel you and your ownership. It's going more that way here where it matters to the community who owns the team. But ultimately what matters more, and I think we saw this with Jeff Vinnick in Tampa and Jeff, you know, is from Sandy Hook, New Jersey, I believe was living in Boston, part owner in the Red Sox wants to get involved in a team buys the Tampa Bay lightning. And him and I had a conversation at one point, And the biggest thing I said is to him is that you've got to plug into the community and let the community know that you support them. And I'm not talking about just building a winning team. Jeff had his own philosophy about how he was going to invest in Tampa. And he's absolutely done that, but he had a lot of wealth. You know, Jeff was rumored to be worth about 2 billion. Then I'd say without any proprietary knowledge, it was probably closer to four. He has invested like crazy in Tampa. He has shown up at every home game and given away $50,000. He has plugged into the community. He has made it his first home. Um, You don't have to be local starting out, but you do have to be committed to the community in order to be a successful owner today, in my opinion. So so let me ask you this, Brian. You, You talk about there's more wealth in the world than ever before. These people that are looking at sports teams love to make money. Do the Ottawa Senators make enough money or any money to make this worth anyone's while? Seriously? Well, John, this is right up your alley. I mean, I think their crown jewel for the market size team they are right now is their TSN deal. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, they found themselves in a rather unique, favorable position and they were able to capitalize on it. These businesses are not, you know, internet type businesses that are infamous. You could figure out what the revenues are pretty tightly. And then it's just a matter of what are you willing to pay in terms of wanting to be an owner? You know, how much money are you going to be comfortable with making? There's always the allure of, well, you can go on a big playoff run and you can cash in. And yes, that's true. But remember, there is some revenue sharing in the playoffs. You know, there's so many different dynamics to really examine. And I've talked to a lot of different people about owning teams over the years. And everybody is just a little bit different. The position that you're saying, believe it or not, John, uh, I think it's it's less popular than you think. I think really? that when you, yes, when you get to this level of wealth, 
there is some vanity involved in it. Uh, you have to absolutely subscribe to the scarcity argument in terms of value um, because there's really no numbers, um, certainly not in Ottawa's case, where you would leverage that type of money to get that type of return. There are easier ways in the world to make money, but there aren't as many enjoyable. There aren't as many from a vanity perspective as owning a professional sports team gives to people. And uh, the guys I know that own teams that are not named Jerry Jones and are not hitting <laughs> it out of the park every year on a free flow cash basis are very, very uh, happy with their investment for the most part. Most guys you hear, I'd say Tom Dundon's probably a pretty good example of this. I know Tom pretty well. Um, you know, Tom got involved in the league, probably wasn't making any money, but he's not losing any money either. And he loves the Carolina Hurricanes. He loves being involved in it. He knows he has a chance to make money if they can go on that elusive big run. That hasn't happened for them yet but you have to feel like it's going to because Carolina has one of those teams that every year is right there. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. So I think if we called Tom right now and asked him how he enjoys owning the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, and Tom's a pretty reserved, quiet guy, I think he'd, I think he'd tell you uh, unequivocally that he loves it, and it's one of his more enjoyable investments that he's ever made. And this is a guy, obviously, that was a main driver in top golf. Um, made a ton of money in the subprime car loan uh, business. Um, but I think that owning the Carolina Hurricanes is a big deal for Tom, owns golf courses in Dallas. He's just a really successful guy. I just think he loves it. He loves sports. He loves being involved. He loves the people that work for him, Donnie Waddell, Roddy Brindamore in particular, Eric Tolsky, their whole staff. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily what you think on the surface. It's not – how much can I make if I invest a billion dollars in a team now? How much am I going to get back? I, I think that's secondary for most of these guys. Sure, it's an ego thing, and we understand that. We were talking to some people the other day, and the consensus seemed to be somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, eight hundred thousand for the senators. Eight hundred million, or million thousand. Same, same thing to Bob. It's no difference. Yeah. Um, but we're also talking about another who knows how much for the arena. And, I mean, I don't think it'll be a billion, but it, it'll be many hundreds of millions of dollars in that. Is, is this team worth that kind of money, investment? Um, well, I think the numbers were reasonably uh, public beforehand. I think we've seen a massive uptick and how these things are valued, quite frankly. And that comes back to the argument I was making earlier. You know, we've printed a lot of money. There is a lot of wealth in the world right now. I think that that would be a tremendous price if you could buy the senators in that, you know, six, seven hundred million range. You have to figure in order to do a new building, the way things are shaking out, you probably have to commit at least another 200, probably 300 to a building. Before you know it, you could easily be in that billion-dollar range. So um, I think people that are serious about it are understanding that. Um, is it worth it? If you looked at the return, I think it's exactly what I said earlier. It's not going to be yeah. the best return you get out there, but I think people are going to love it. Um, 
and it's going to be one of their best buys in their lifetime. It's just we've gotten rid of a, a lot of people that used to try to get into these things in terms of maybe they could stretch themselves and make money and live off of it. Now I see the owners that are coming in now are not guys that are making their living off of owning these teams. No, they're, right. they're, they're just not. I use Jerry Jones as an example because he shifted a lot of his wealth into the Cowboys way back when, when it was a few hundred million to buy them. And he's making a few hundred million a year. Plus, hmm. those stories are more rare in sports. He's got a he's got a rare franchise. He's hit it out of the park. Football's exploded, as everybody knows. Um, you know, all the stars lined up for him. That's not really the norm. I don't think you can count on that if you're out there searching for one of these teams right now. So, so uh, as of yesterday. Uh, you could sign an NDA. I guess you'd have to prove that you have the worth, but you could sign an NDA and take a look at the Senator's books. What would you, and I'm, I'm not looking for specifics, but is there, what would you look at? What would you, what would, what would you identify as something that's important to, to look to see if this is a viable opportunity? Yeah. Like I said, there, there's not that many categories. These are pretty simple businesses. You're going to look at your ticket sales. Everybody knows that hockey is still a uh, heavily gate-driven sport. Our right. television dollars have ticked up significantly, but John, nobody knows this space better than you. And I don't think you're taking the television dollars in hockey over baseball, basketball, or football right now. Nope. Those, those nope. are just facts. But the ticket revenue, surprisingly, is really, really strong. And that is probably the number one revenue driver you're going to see. The overall league revenues have really risen uh, nicely the last few years after looking really bleak because of the pandemic. It's popped nicely. Uh, the league has done a great job of generating new revenue streams, and that is having a massive effect on the value of these teams. So, um, but, the, but there isn't, you know, so many hidden categories. We're all kind of looking at gambling seeing what can that do. Uh, some of the guys I talk to at the NHL ownership level that are more progressive are pretty uh, hungry after that space and pretty bullish on what it's going to yield. I don't think we've seen those massive returns yet, but that's out there in the future. That ends up in a model when you really sit down and look at these businesses and see what you can do. Everybody has the same thought, though. It could be the three of us. We're going to buy the Ottawa Senators, and we're so smart hockey-wise, and we're going to do nothing but win Stanley Cups, and we're going to make a fortune. Unfortunately, there's 31 other teams that think the same thing, and it's really hard. And in this flat salary cap world, it's actually pulled everybody tighter together and even made it more difficult. I was at the Wild and the Oilers game last night. I was talking to Ken Holland briefly. And uh, we were just having a discussion about that, how tough it is to manage your club right now. And he said, yeah, he's, they had just played the capital. He said, I'm up in the press box. They got $35 million sitting in the press box that night. Yeah. You know, we win that game. It's, you know, it's, you can't go out and replace it. It's that it's just, it's a really, really tough league to do exactly what us three dudes, I'll call us, would be thinking if we bought the Ottawa Senators. It's just not that easy. More difficult to buy a Canadian team than an American team, or is it sillier to buy a Canadian team than an American team, or any difference? Um, it depends on the American team. So obviously I ran Tampa, and that was at a time in 2008, economy was not very good. 
it was a challenge to get people to come to the games. The team wasn't very good. Economy wasn't very good. The benefit or the extra value in Canada is you don't have to educate people as much or push them to want to go to hockey games for the most part. The price is getting up there now where it's clearly having a negative effect and winning is more important than ever. But um, like I say, some U.S. teams, because here in Minnesota, as soon as U.S. Thanksgiving and you worked in this market, John, so you know, once you get that, and somebody told me this my first year pro playing for the North Stars way back when, where the buildings were kind of, you know, we had a good showing of fans, but it wasn't great. And I think it was Al McAdam one day. I, I was looking, I was looking around. He said, Oh, Brian, just, you just wait. Once we pass Thanksgiving, every seat you can see around the top, that's not full. It'll be full. And that's the value of, you know, there's, there's Canada to me has the ability to do that in general, more than the United States but the United States has a number of really great markets that are exactly like that. It's some of the cities where you have to educate more and compete with other things like the sun, golfing, uh, right. great weather, things like that, that it, it makes it more of a challenge. But, uh, you know, overall, the, the league, the, the league has, in my opinion, always wanted parity. Gary says that openly. So we'll take him at his word. I think he has it. And I do think it helps all of the franchises to sell tickets because nobody's out of it ever. Eugene Melnick was a semi-regular guest on this program and on the radio show as well. And you always got the sense that under him, uh, there was economic stress that the team did not make money. Do you think the Ottawa Senators are a moneymaker, a break-even situation? What do you think? Uh, I absolutely do think that I think Eugene would love, you know, unfortunately for him, he did go through some years and I would talk to Eugene all the time. Um, you know, Eugene's one of those guys that uh, it's delightful to talk to him one-on-one. Some of the things you hear coming away from him in other situations aren't as delightful, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed him and he was always so truthful with me and I always completely uh, respected him for that. Um, I just think the league is in a better place now. Eugene was definitely capitalizing on their new deal with TSN, which is very strong by local broadcast deals. John, you could explain that better than me, but if we went around the league, we would say that you know their local deal exceeds probably what you would think otherwise if you didn't know mm-hmm. what it was compared to other similar size markets. And, and that was really a boon for him. Um, the last piece for the Senators in order to be more than just break even every year. And I think they already are break even. And that's my point is Eugene would enjoy it more today, maybe than he did five years ago. The league's just done a good job of increasing those television revenues. Um, We don't have straight revenue sharing, certainly not to the level that football does on a percentage basis. So it can be tougher or put stress on some of these smaller market teams. But the league has improved that. They've increased those numbers and there is more sharing and it has brought everybody a little tighter together. And it definitely, in my opinion, has made this franchise profitable now. A new building is going to take that to another level. That will be the challenge in this sale. Can you get paid adequately for what is yet to come? And to mm-hmm. your point, Bob, you know where what is the acknowledgement for, oh, by the way, you have to put in at least a couple hundred, maybe 300 million more 
to really set that up right for the team to recognize that value. You get somebody else to pay for that, but they'll take all that revenue and the team won't get it. So I see a partnership happening on that, to be honest with you. Yeah, understand. Um, does a celebrity involved in the ownership mean anything? Yes. It really does. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is a Ryan Reynolds is a big name. There's a reason why he's an actor and his net worth is over three hundred million dollars. You can find a lot of really great famous people that you know that are not worth three hundred million dollars. He is a marketer du jour. He's not afraid to take on big projects. I had one particular buyer contact me and um he has reached out to Ryan Reynolds. I think everybody on the planet has, because I do think he boosts the needle. It just makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, he's a big name. He loves marketing. He loves getting involved. He actually definitely has the money to invest, although he's not going to be a majority owner. He no. said that publicly himself. But uh, he has enough money to put into the deal and enough weight on the social media scenes to, to, to move the numbers a bit. So I hope he yeah. ends up being involved in the end. It's probably a real challenge for him because I think everybody has had this thought. I know people that have contacted me have um, so far unsuccessfully for the people I know, but hopefully he'll, for him, he's just trying to pick the right horse. Yeah. And it's, right. and exactly. it's not that, it's not that easy. What's the timeline? Do you think, Brian? Do you, are we looking at All Star Game, or we, 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 how quickly can this get put to bed? Um, I think perhaps by All Star Game, although that feels a little soon to me. But um, certainly by the draft, I believe you'll know who the new owner is going to be. One of the things the NHL has really changed over the last 10, 15 years. It's just the process of becoming approved. It uh, doesn't matter who you are. Jeff Bezos can want to buy the team tomorrow, and it's still going to be a three- to four-month process. There's just a lot of due diligence that uh, David Zimmerman, who oversees this for the NHL, has put into place. It's definitely for the benefit of all the ownership groups in the National Hockey League. I'd be remiss if I didn't say it's a complete pain in the ass to go through. Um <laughs> But that's just the way it has to be for a purchase like this. Or there had been a history of things in the past that did not reflect great uh, for anybody. And the NHL has completely eliminated that. And they do a really uh, great job now. It just takes time, no matter who you are. We call that the John Spano rule. So, <laughs> Right. <laughs> we could say others. We could do yes, 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 we could. But uh, he's, the I, easy, I, he's, he's the easy one, Brian. I know, but I once had one of these guys signing autographs next to me when I was still a player. And I remember looking over and seeing this gentleman and uh, I was like, what? He's signing autographs? <laughs> Didn't work out great. Somebody in a very, in a, in a warm climate, we won't name names, but I always thought it was strange. Even as a player, I was like, it's so strange. If you're cool <laughs> enough to buy the team, you obviously have enough money where who cares if you're signing an autograph? I wouldn't do that. 
Well, that, that goes back to that. That goes back to that word vanity you kept bringing up in the first part of the interview. Hundred <laughs> percent. That particular guy, I wasn't. I was just with that team in a training camp, and that particular owner never missed an opportunity to show up with the biggest. This is how old I am. The biggest stretch limo you've ever seen. Way <laughs> waiting outside the locker room, whenever possible. And I used to think, oh, that's so bizarre. No. <laughs> well, we'll know in the next few, I don't think weeks maybe, but months at least. Who do you, who do you think is the odds-on favorite? I don't have a clue. I think a, I think a guy that doesn't need to go through the vetting is the odds-on favorite. And that's Michael Landlauer, who already owns a percentage of the Montreal Canadiens, so he's already been vetted by the league. That's my personal opinion, but that's me. Yes. Assuming he owns more than 5%, he would have had to go through the vote betting process. He owns about 20. So Yes, I am aware. Um, <laughs> I still think there's more due diligence there, but it, it definitely speeds things up. I did a deal at one point with the Wild where uh, it was kind of a crazy deal. But ultimately, so I represented the buyer, but I also kind of, I ended up getting paid by all three people in the transaction. Good for you. Right. So, yeah. It was, <laughs> but I, I didn't feel like I was, I was, I negotiated to a price that everybody was acceptable with. And then you're kind of just trying to get people to stay engaged and finish off what they said they would do. And it was a really interesting process. I liked it more than being an agent, which is really what I was acting as because I had like 97 less people to try to corral. Yeah. So that right. made it easy. But uh, it was really an interesting uh, process. In the end, everybody did what they were supposed to, and it worked well. Everybody paid me in the end, which I appreciated, because that can be a hassle too. Um, but everybody walked away pretty happy, I think, with that deal. But it was very, very unique. So um, it took longer than we all thought. There was, some, there was a couple of strange twists with that deal. We won't get into that now. But in any event, um, I, I think... We could maybe know by All-Star Game, but I find it unlikely that it would be announced by them. We got to get out of here, but uh, just out of interest, do you have anybody involved with the Senators? Interested? No, I, I have no. I have one person that was kind of kicking tires. Um, that was it. They are closer to John, where price really does. Money doesn't matter to them, but price matters price to them. Matters. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and there there are people out there that you know want to do this but they just cannot get by that. And, you know, one thing that Gary's always very clear with is there's a lot of faith and trust in buying a team in the national hockey league. And, you know, Gary is continually good on his word with people, but um, as the commissioner of the league, you know, he, he wants to drive prices. And I think he's done a really good job of that for the other owners. And I think that uh, we'll see another example of that with the Ottawa centers when they eventually do sale. Uh, we got a scoot. We're out of time. Brian, always good to see you. Thanks, pal, for joining us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Brian Lawton, we'll come back and wrap it after this. The world's greatest sporting event only rolls around every four years, and every four years, everyone becomes a soccer fan. That's right. Billions of eyes are about to fall upon 32 nations battling it out for soccer supremacy. The Men in Blazers podcast will once again be your guide to every incredible goal, every heartbreaking defeat, and every moment of human triumph. This is America's number one soccer podcast, 
bringing you expert analysis of every U.S. men's national game and exclusive interviews from a slew of athletes and celebrity guests all month long. This is what the world will be talking about. This is the one podcast that makes soccer fun and entertaining for everyone. Follow Men in Blazers on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Uh, we are back on our thanks to um, Sharman and Lawton. Okay, two questions for you. Us. Two Go. questions. What do you think Eugene would be thinking right now when he hears about all the interest in his team? I don't know. I do you think do you let me ask you a question in response to that. Do you think this team would be for sale if Eugene was still around? No, it wouldn't be, but I I just I I think he would just be like a Cheshire cat saying, "You see, I told you this was a great market. I told you we were going to do great things." I, I I just I mean, you know Eugene, you knew what he how he talked and what he believed in. So I I just I think he would I think he would say to everybody, I was right about Ottawa as a hockey town. Yeah, I don't think he'd sell either. Yeah, I don't think he'd sell. And 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 you alluded to in the opening, Bob, that I would, uh, of the people on this show, I would be the only one watching the rest of the World Cup. Is that true? Well, of the people on this show? Yeah. Of the yeah. two of us? The answer yeah. is yes. So you ha- you're, you're not watching anymore. You're I'm done. I'm not saying I'm not going to watch anything, but... I will not watch at the level that I did when Canada was involved. I mean, you know, I watched every minute of Canada's games. Yeah. I will not wa- I probably will not watch another game from beginning to end. No. I have no interest. I have no team that I'm supporting. I mean, I'm an American by birth, but I don't have a relationship with the U.S. team. I really don't care what, what they do or don't do, as the case may be. So... The sport is still just too pedantic and slow for me. Just not it's enough, not, it, not enough I, happening. I tell you what, I I have first of all, I enjoyed the World Cup. I've enjoyed the games, uh, other than Canada as well. I mean, you know, when you consider that there's already five nations that are in the top fifteen rankings for FIFA have been eliminated, it tells you uh, how uh, volatile. The soccer world is, and there are care. so many countries. Uh, I'm, not, it, but, I'm not entertained games, by it. I tell you what, how could you not? The German game yesterday, they were scoring at will in the second half. It was fun. Not entertained. <laughs> Three or four <laughs> minutes is probably the longest I've watched any other game. I'll, I will when I, when I get it when there's a good game on, I'm going to phone you. Yeah, go ahead. Line will be busy. <laughs> uh, have a nice weekend, Mr. Shannon. YouTube up. All right. We'll see you on Monday. Goodbye, everybody.